Amen. Well, as we get ready for the Word of God, I'm going to ask you to remain standing as we go to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. As we really talk about this passage entitled, The Valley of Dry Bones. How many of you have ever had a dry season? How many of you have ever met a dry person? You ever gone to a dry church? It ain't this one. But there's something about dryness that's just sad. There's something about dryness that makes you miserable. And I, I really believe that God does not want us to live a life of dryness, hopelessness, despair, misery. But that's exactly what the people of Israel were feeling. So it's very possible to be a child of God and live a dry life. So tonight, today I want to preach this message on how to avoid being dry. How to avoid being dry. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. The Word of God says, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley that was filled with bones. He led me all around the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere, across the ground, and were completely dried out. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O Sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. And this is what the Sovereign Lord says, look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you alive again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattle noise across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched muscles and flesh form over the bones, the skin formed to cover their bodies, but there still had been no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bones so they may live again. So I spoke the message that I was commanded and breath came into the bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet as a great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They're saying, we've become old. How many of you are saying that today? We've become old, dry bones. And all hope is gone. Our nation... It's finished. Therefore, 
prophesy to them, say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, O people, I'm going to open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. And some of you, God's getting ready to open that grave of yours and rise again. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, O people, you'll know that I'm the Lord. I'm going to put my spirit in you. You'll live again. Return home again to your own land. You will know I, the Lord, have spoken. Yes, the Lord has spoken. I want to preach to all the dry people today. You guys would let me do that for this morning? Let's pray. Father, pray to the dry people. The people who are saying life is too hard. Life is unfair. Life is too lonely. Life is too boring. What's going to happen to my life? The people who have lost joy, peace, the people that are overbearing right now, Lord, and overburdened by fear and worry, and even the people here today, Lord, that feel they have failed you beyond forgiveness. Father, preach to the dry people. Preach to our church. Preach to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat as we talk about how to avoid dryness. Let me paint this picture to explain what's happening here. Suppose you're driving in a beautiful red convertible. You guys see it? Suppose you're driving in a beautiful red convertible. You're in these beautiful West Coast, Highway 1, California, looking over the Pacific Ocean. Everything is beautiful. The mountains are beautiful. The sunset is beautiful. The ocean, the breath of the air is just hitting your face. Everything is peaceful. You've got your favorite song on the radio or you're listening to our podcast because you love and you love the message, want to hear it again. But you're having the time of your life. But there's only one problem. You're on the wrong side of the road. You're headed down the wrong direction. And the road you're on, it actually has a dead end. And if you don't stop, you're going to go off this cliff. So now me knowing that you're on this cliff, headed down the wrong road, and in any moment you're going to head a dead end and go off the cliff and get really hurt or die, I, being the loving pastor that I am, I give you a quick phone call. But then you notice... As you look at your phone, you say, oh, it's Pastor David. What does he want? You know what? I'm just going to hit ignore. Then I call you again, and you hit ignore. And then I call you one more time. You look at it. You're tempted to answer. But you know what? The ocean's so beautiful. The sun feels so great. You're having the time of your life. You just turn up the radio longer, and you hit ignore. But I don't give up. Imagine now that all of a sudden I send you a text message and you see my name pop out on your text and you know that you can open the text and read the text, but then you tell yourself, I shouldn't text and drive, Pastor. How dare you tempt me to sin? So then all of a sudden I text you with all these exclamations trying to warn you, but then you quickly just shut off your phone. But then it gets even better. I don't give up. And all of a sudden, I send you an email. And this email is short, but it's urgent. And I title it, Urgent. 
And as your phone turns lights up again and you see that it's your Gmail popping up, you have a, you see the message highlighted urgent. And now you're wondering, I wonder what's so urgent that Pastor David has to disrupt my amazing time. And instead of opening up this email that says urgent, you're on the wrong cliff, on the wrong road, heading off a cliff, you just delete the message. You never even open it. You just throw it in the trash. And all of a sudden I realize that all of my efforts are doing nothing. And then I really just go all out and I hire a plane to hold and hang a banner. And this banner, it flies over you and it's trying to tell you that you're on the wrong road and you're headed towards the cliff. But the problem is that you're having such a great time and everything's so beautiful that you glance up but you quickly look away because everything else is distracting you and you don't even see the banner. And then it happens. There's a dead end. You jump off the cliff. The car comes tumbling off. It rolls and rolls and rolls. You're ejected off it. You break every bone in your body. And you lay there lifeless on the ground. And I come rushing to you. Do you have a right to get mad at me? Do you have a right to say, how could you let this Happened to me. Church? No. This is exactly what we do with God. We choose to be on the wrong roads in life that are going to head to a disastrous outcome. And God warns you. And God sends people into your life to warn you. But time and time again, you're having the time of your life and you're distracted and there's all these things around you and you ignore God and ignore God and ignore God and you have all of these warnings but you keep ignoring Him until there comes a point that there's consequences to the roads that you chose to be on and when life gets hard and life gets painful and you're feeling the consequences Many people, instead of getting right with God and back on the right track and learning from what they're experiencing, they get mad at God and say, God, how could you allow this in my life? If there is a God, why did he allow this pain to occur? If, there, if God does love me, why did he allow me to suffer this way? And rather than getting right with God, we get mad at God. But understand this, this is a perfect picture of what's happening to the people of Israel. You see, the people of Israel decided to rebel against God. They wanted to follow the ways of the ungodly people around them. They wanted to worship other pagan gods. They wanted to live in sin. And God has given us free will. So in our free will, we choose how we want to live. We choose how we want to serve God. We choose the choices you want to make. So the people began to live in sin. The people began to live in rebellion towards God. But God in His love and God in His mercy, He said, I'm going to send some prophets. A prophet was a person that spoke on behalf of God. So God, time and time again, was sent countless prophets, over 15 prophets, to the people of Israel to say this one message, repent. 
turn and get back on the right road. But every time a prophet and a man of God would come to preach the word of God, the people would hit ignore. The people would just ignore the prophets and say, oh, he's just crazy. They said about one prophet. And then God sent another one and they even threw him in jail. And said, you know what? Let's just throw him in jail. Let's punish him so he learns his lesson and he stops preaching this message of doom. And they sent other prophets and they wouldn't listen. And time and time again, the people continued on the wrong road and would not listen to God. And here's the thing about God. There is a point that God says, I've had enough. We don't preach this in the church anymore. We don't try to because it's not very popular. Because we love to preach that God is love. God is merciful. God is graceful. But we fail to forget that God is just. And we fail to forget that sin has consequences. And God does have a point where he says enough. I've had enough of your rebellion. I've had enough of your sin. I've had enough of your mockery towards me. And there it was. The dead end. There is a phrase in the Bible that many people don't even know about God. It's found in Romans chapter 121. Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile. Their foolishness of their hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise because, hey, they know God, they know the Bible, they go to church, they, they know everything, they claim to be wise, they actually, look, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men. Idolatry. Birds and animals and reptiles, they just, they just started worshiping other gods. And here's the phrase. You guys ready for this? Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires. God gave them over and their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And in exchange for the truth of God for a lie, and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator who was forever praised. Amen. There is that phrase that frightens me. Because God says, when I have enough, I give you over to your sin. And what that means is that at that point, you have your free will and God says, you go on ahead. You go on ahead and do what you know is wrong. 
You go on ahead and live in sin. You go on ahead and live in rebellion and disobedience. You keep going. You know what? Go ahead. That is God talking. And I'm going to give you over to your sin. Because that very sin that I've handed you over to, it's going to destroy your life. It's going to bring pain like you never imagined. And God hands you over to your sin. And when God hands you over to your sin, at one point, you're not going to see the consequences. God says, you go ahead and travel on that wrong road. And when you're on that wrong road, there comes a moment that the sun is still bright, the radio is still loud, the trees are still beautiful, everything is fine, but the dead end always comes. And that's why many people say, I'm getting away with it. I don't feel any consequences yet. I'm I'm still sleeping around. I'm still having the affair. I'm still watching the porn. I'm still listening to the gossip. I'm still doing the things I know it's wrong. I'm still watching the things I know it's wrong. And hey, we're fine. Everything's good. And maybe it's fine because God has already handed you over. But the dead end is coming. And when God finally said, I've had enough, he allowed an evil king, dictator, by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, to invade Jerusalem and the tribe of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar burned the entire city to the ground and God allowed it. Nebuchadnezzar killed thousands of people and God allowed it. Nebuchadnezzar even got the king He got his children, all his sons, and killed his sons right in front of him. So that that king would know you will no longer reign. Your lineage is dead. Your family line is hopeless. And after that, that enemy gouged the king's eyes out. So the very last thing he would ever see was his own sons being murdered. And all of a sudden, when everything was destroyed, and everything was burnt to the ground, people died, and families were separated. Nebuchadnezzar said, now grab all the survivors. Let's take them to the land of Babylon. And they were there, held captive for 70 years. Ezekiel was one of those survivors. So was Daniel, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Godly people were there as well. And I'll explain to you why they were there in a bit. But do you see that God has a point where he says, I've had enough? There comes a point, I believe, that God's going to have enough of our nation. If God had enough of his own nation, his own the nation of Israel, don't you think God's going to have enough of the nation of America? Who's choosing to continue to live against God? 
And we think that we're getting away with it. We think it's fine. And we keep pushing the envelope further and further. But what is what happens if maybe right now God is saying, the only reason it looks okay is because you don't even know I've handed you over. And for 70 years, the people were in bondage. And the reason that so many families and homes and marriages and children are just being held captive by the enemy and destroyed is because we are choosing out of our own free will to live a life against the will of God. And just because we have free will doesn't mean we get to choose whatever we want. It means that we have the freedom to choose to live under the will of God. And there's no greater place to be than under the will of God. There's no greater peace to know that you're living a life that honors God. Why? Because you're not worried about, what if I'm going to get caught? What if someone finds out? Let me look both ways. i got to keep this a secret. I can lose sleep. What if they find out? There is no greater peace than knowing you're living under the will of God. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I've driven off the cliff. Suppose you drive off the cliff. You're rolling, breaking every bone, painful. But because I love you so much, I put a mattress at the bottom. You fall right on that mattress or airbag, whatever you want to call it, a net. And you're there in that little net bouncing and you're all broken and bruised and hurt. And I, in love, I look at you and I said, hey, did you learn something? And you say, I'll never ignore you again. Good. And then I start banging you up. And I douse you with neosporin. And I start healing you. Because God is a God of love. But God's love was never designed to keep you in your sin. God's love was a love that meant I will discipline you and break you if I have to. And once you are broken and you learn your lesson, I will be there to heal you. And you get right back on the road. Can we praise God for real love? That's real love. Because I'm here to tell you, if you've driven off the cliff, I hope you learn something. I hope you learn you can't mess with God. I hope you learn that the word of God is always true and should be honored. And I hope you learn that every sin has consequences. And Ezekiel was in this land. Exiled. Babylon has no idea, doesn't speak the language. Everything's unfamiliar. He just doesn't know where he's at. He doesn't hear from God. And in verse 1, here's the most beautiful verse of Ezekiel. The Lord took hold of me. This is in the valley. This is in the darkest time of his life. The Bible says the Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. The term the Lord took hold of me is actually a phrase, the Lord, his hand was upon me. Now that that phrase in the Bible, the hand of the Lord is upon you, is a phrase that literally means an expression 
that God's favor and power is on someone. And in the Bible, whenever the hand of the Lord was on someone, great things happened. Whenever the hand of the Lord was on something, no matter how impossible it seemed, God did the impossible. Whenever the land, the hand of the Lord was on someone, there was miracles, there was healing, there was greatness. Whenever the hand of God was on someone or something, amazing things happen. In fact, one of the greatest prayers you can ever pray is, Lord, place your hands on me. One of the greatest prayers you can pray is, Lord, place your hands on my children, my home, my marriage, my life. Put your hands upon me. When I'm walking up down this aisle, up these stairs to preach, one of the first things I always preach is, Lord, let your hands be on me. Because when the hands of the Lord is on me, it's not Pastor David speaking in the flesh. It is God. I feel it up here because the devil tried to distract me and everything. And isn't it amazing that while he was in this Babylon, while he was in a place that was unfamiliar and frightening and God wasn't speaking and he was living in bondage, captive. He was in this valley of dryness and brokenness and hopelessness that the hand of the Lord was still there. And I want to tell anyone this morning, if you're in the darkest place of your life because of the choices you have made, you might be in a valley of hopelessness and despair. But the Bible says, is the hand of the Lord too short to save? Is the hand of the Lord too short to reach? God's hands can reach you wherever you are. And when Ezekiel was there, hopeless, all of a sudden he felt the hand of God on him. Because God was letting him know. They fell off the cliff. But I have a plan. And my hand is on you. Because I'm still God. And I still got power. In fact, when God's hand is on you, no devil in hell can stop you. And the reason I look back, we're going to celebrate soon, 13 years as a church, I look back, I don't know how we survived, and then I also do know how. The hand of the Lord is on this church. So when COVID came and all these crazy people came and everything we've gone through, I said, man, how did we make it through that valley? God says, my hand was on you. God's hand will reach you wherever you're at. Because God still had a plan. Don't ever tell yourself that you have chosen your way out of the purpose of God. I don't care how bad you are. Man, this church is filled with crazy people. This church is filled with people. I said, man, Lord, what do you, I mean, was, or you guys are all great. This church is filled with, and I'm telling you, I'm telling, I have seen the hand of God on people that otherwise the world would have said was hopeless. When the hand of the Lord is on you, you have no reason to fear. When the hand of the Lord is on you, I don't care about a hurricane. 
When the hand of the Lord is on you, I don't care about Biden. When the hand of the Lord is on you, I don't care about inflation. When the hand of the Lord is on you, who cares about COVID? When the hand of the Lord is on you, why would you ever be afraid? The hand of the Lord is on you. Ezekiel. But the hand of the Lord doesn't mean that life is easy or comfortable. That everything's just going to work out the way you did. Because let me tell you something. In that land of Babylon were very godly men. Ezekiel, Sadrach, Meshach, and Mendigo, Daniel. Those are men that did not bow down to the world, yet they suffered the consequences with everyone else. Does it seem unfair? Absolutely. But does it seem amazing? Yes, because it means God still had a plan. Because maybe you're here today, you're saying, Pastor, I I drove off the cliff. I chose the wrong road. And I'm suffering the consequences. God's hand can still reach you. But maybe you were a passenger and someone else drove you off the cliff. Someone else's selfishness. Someone else's disobedience. Someone else's sin hurts you. The hand of God is still on you. The hand of God doesn't mean life is going to be easy. It's a, it's a lie that we, we tell the people in the church, oh, the hand of God is on you and everything's going to be great. Let me tell you something. I believe without a doubt the hand of God is on this church, but we have gone through stuff. The hand of God is on me, but I have gone through. The hand of God is on you. You have gone through some things. Let me prove it to you. The Bible says, the hand of the Lord is on me. Oh, man, that's awesome. Don't you feel it? The hand of the Lord. And He carried me. You're like, oh, yes, Lord. I feel like the Lord is carrying me. And then in verse 2, He set him down in a valley. You're like, wait a minute, God. See, see, just a minute ago, your hand was on me. Just a minute ago, you were carrying me. I felt your presence. But now you've let me go in this valley. Yes, because the hand of the Lord doesn't mean life is easy. And even though the hand of God is on you, sometimes God will let you go in a valley. And you say, well, I feel like God has let me down. Maybe He has. Because life is all about letdowns. People will let you down. Churches will let you down. Life will let you down. And when all of that lets you down, you tend to think, well, why did God let me down? I don't know. But he still has a purpose. Ezekiel is in a valley now. And a valley in the Bible represents places of darkness. Hardship. And even battles. And as a result, even in verse 11, notice what the people of God were saying. He said to me, Son of man, these bones in the valley 
represent the people of Israel. They're saying we've become old, dry bones. Our hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Do you ever talk like that? Can I preach to the real people? I don't want to preach to the fake ones in church today. Let me talk to the real people. Do you ever talk like that? Where I say, man, this is bad. This is hopeless. We're finished. We're done. It's over. That's what they were saying. Because when you're in the valley, one of the hardest times in your life is not just when you're in a valley, is when you're in a valley and you're saying, Lord, and I'm dry. Lord, I'm tired. I'm old. I'm dry. I'm tired and dry. I can't go on anymore. And he's in this valley and the people were saying, it's finished. Let me give you some advice. Only God can say it is finished. And that's why Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished. The people couldn't say it. The devil couldn't say it. Only Jesus, who is God, can say, it is finished. So if God hasn't said, it's over, stop saying it's over. Stop telling yourself we're done. It's over. We're finished. It's hopeless. Because Ezekiel was in that same position. He's in that same valley with everyone else. The difference is, Ezekiel had the hand of God on him. See, life comes at you in mountains and valleys. It's up and it's down. We, we tend to lie to ourselves. If I have the right job, I'll always be happy. How many of you know that's not true? If I marry the right person, I'll always be happy. How many of you know that's really not true? If I just have the children, then I will be happy. How many of you know that's definitely not true? If I had more money, I'd be happy. He said, I don't know, I think that one's true. No, it's not. It's not. Even though you will tithe it, I'll be happy too, but listen, it won't last. But we lie to ourselves because life is not happy. Life is a broken, sinful, fallen world. We have to learn how to manage the valleys in our lives to avoid staying dry. Life is good, but then life gets bad. You're in a valley. Marriages have mountains and valleys. A mountain is when she listens. <laughs> you always listen, I love you. Yeah, a mountain is when life is good. You guys are holding hands and everything's good. There's peace. We haven't fought in a week. Wow. Life is great. But every marriage heads to a valley. Where you're tired, stressed, busy, anxious. Nitpick. You know what nitpickers are? You left a sock on the floor. <laughs> oh, you did this. You did, you're just... It's a valley. 
And I've seen many marriages in valleys. They come to me and say, Pastor, we're done. We're getting divorced. I'm like, why? Well, because it's not easy. Who said it was? And those same people are married today. In fact, that's what separates my generation from the previous generation before me, like my parents. Those were marriages that last 30, 40, 50 years. We have some of them in our church. Why? Because they learn how to manage valleys. And you hear their stories. Man, we ate tuna out of cans. We had no money. We were broke. We lived in a box. And I'm like, how did you survive? We were tough. And some people say, oh my gosh, this bedroom only has, this room only has two bedrooms and one bathroom. We're done. We can't. We're poor. Listen, everything in life goes up and down. You have mountains with your children, valleys with your children. Usually when they're young, they love you. When they're teenagers, they know it all and hate you. And then when they're adults, they need you again. Churches have valleys and mountains. There's mountaintops. I can look back and I can say, man, there were times where everyone was behaving. There were times that everyone was worshiping. Everyone was giving. Everyone was, everyone was happy. And then we go through these valleys and some of you, the horns come out. I'm like, who are you? And you know, you're like demonic. I'm like, oh my gosh. And we go through these valleys of the church. Does your pastor say, they shut it down, it's finished. We're over, no, we manage and push through it. Everything has a valley. But see, it's in the valley where people tend to lose all hope and fear and they tend to give up and quit and lose faith and just get divorced and sign the papers and relapse and go back to their sin. We just stop and give up. Why? Because the valley... Is not avoidable, but it's manageable. That's good. You should tweet that. The valley is not avoidable, but it's manageable. How do you manage a valley in your life while avoiding being dry? It's simple. Whatever your valley is, Whatever you're going through right now, no matter how dark, how terrible, how sinful, how painful it is, let me teach you a divine principle that Ezekiel is going to teach us in his word here. Because Ezekiel was in a valley of dry bones. And while everyone else was saying it's finished, it's hopeless, it's over, we're discouraged, we're afraid, we're going to give up. Ezekiel was the only one that had this vision of everything coming back stronger. Now my question is, what type of vision do you want for your life? Do you want to see life through a lens of hopelessness? Or do you want to see life through a lens of revival? Do you want to see life through a lens of despair? Or do you want to see the lens through a life of miracles? Do you want to see life through a lens of just despair and hopelessness and fear and worry and saying it's over and negative and critical? Or do you want a vision that says God can raise this? God can change this? God can lift this? God can move this? God can bless this? God can heal this? God can cause this to live? God can do anything and live with a life of great purpose. What do you want, guys? One person. Great, I got you. All right, I'm going to preach to you then. How do you manage your valleys? There's one thing that Ezekiel did that he had 
That church, I believe this is one of the most important messages you're ever going to hear in this church. And I, I hardly ever say this. But this principle will save your life. This principle could save your children if they see you living through this principle. This principle can save your family. This principle can help you avoid sinful things. This principle can help you not make bad decisions. This principle will lead you away from wrong people. This principle will bless your life. This principle will keep your life. This principle will put you in the right course in the will of God. So I think as a church, we better learn what this principle is. Amen? That's better. One thing, one thing only. Verse 2. Remember, he's in the valley. Hopelessness. He's in the valley. It's bad. He's in the valley. It's difficult. He's lost everything. His home, his family. He's held captive. Notice what Ezekiel was able to say that not many people can say. He, it's God, led me. He led me all around the bones that were covered in the valley floor. While he was in the valley, Ezekiel was able to say, God led me. It is vital as a believer that you become a spirit-led person. If you want to avoid all disaster, develop the principle of being spirit-led. Because there are all of these things trying to lead you right now. Right now, your own desires are trying to lead you. Right now, your emotions are trying to lead you. Right now, there are all these opinions trying to lead you. Selfishness is trying to lead you. All of these things are trying to lead you. And when these things lead you, they only lead you the wrong way. And many people drive off the cliff because they're not spirit-led. And being a spirit-led person means you lead a life to follow and obey the Word of God. That's it. When you are a spirit-filled person, you are constantly learning and meditating and spending time in the Word of God because it is filling you first so that it can lead you after. So when you are a spirit-filled person, you fill yourself with the Word of God. But when you are a spirit-led person, you let that Word lead you and guide you through life. It leads you in your values. It leads you to integrity. It leads you to what matters most. It leads you in your decisions. It leads you to everything in your life. It is God saying, I'm in charge. I'm in control. I lead you. You're not led by what you want. You're not led by what you feel. You're not led by what you think. 
You're not led by the world. You're not led by opinion. You're not led by other people. You are a person that has chosen to be led by the Holy Spirit. Could God lead you wrong? God cannot lead you wrong. But the reason it feels like your life is going the wrong way is because God is not leading anymore. You are. And Ezekiel said, He led me. But I believe today in the church, there is a lot of people that can't say that. Money leads you. Pleasure leads you. Selfishness leads you. I do what I want, when I want, how I want, because pride leads you. It's no wonder many people are going off the road. Because you're not spirit-led. Had you been spirit-led, you would not have drank what you drank, smoked what you smoked, slept with who you slept with, done what you done, lied what you lied about, stole what you stole, did what you did, watched what you watched, heard what you heard. You would not do any of those things had you been spirit-led. But it's time to put this church back on track. To say we will not just be a spirit-filled church, but a spirit-led church. Because Romans 8.14 says this clearly, so clear, you can drink it. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. Did you know that one of the evidences of being a true believer, a true child of God, is being led by God? Being led by the Spirit. But so many people, they're not. Because we've made this mistake in the church, and I hear it preached all the time and emphasized all the time. We focus so much on being filled with the Spirit. You ever pray, Lord, fill me with your presence, fill me with your presence, fill me with your presence, fill me with your spirit, fill me with joy, fill me with peace, fill me, fill me, fill me. And there's a lot of people that are full of it. They're, they're full of it. They're full of it in the church. You're, I, people have forward. I'm just going to speak to my church. Can I speak that? You're full of it. You go to a Bible-fearing, Bible-believing church with a God who... Is led by, I mean, seriously, you are with a pastor that is spirit-led to a point that I preach, and sometimes it's scary. I say, Lord, I can't say this. But you know why Pastor David says it? He's spirit-led. And so many people were full. You're full of the Word of God. You're full of the presence of God. You're full, you're full, you're full. But what Good is being spirit-filled if you're not going to be spirit-led. If I tell you I got to get to Orlando, but I have no money, would you please fill up my tank? You say, Pastor, of course, I will gladly fill your, your car with gas. And you fill it to the brim. You fill it all the way and it's full. And I say, thank you for filling my car. The next day you see me, hey, wait, aren't you supposed to be in Orlando? Oh yeah, but I didn't go. 
Then why did I fill you? Oh, it was nice. I liked it. Thanks. But in order to get to where I need to be, I need to lead myself there. And that's the problem with the church. We're so full of ourselves and full of the presence of God and full of wisdom and full of knowledge, but we're doing nothing with it. What good is spirit-filled if you're not spirit-led? I can fill this with water to take care of my plant. And it's great that it's filled with water, but in order for me to see this plant thrive and grow and flourish, I need to pour the water into the plant. It's not enough to say I'm full of water and I'm filled with water and the water's nice, the water's great. I feel so good that I'm full with water. Thank you, Lord, for this water. I'm so blessed to have this water. I'm filled with water. But if I don't do anything about it, this tree quickly, it's going to diminish. It's going to dry. It's going to lack potential and growth. And the reason there's so many people that all we talk about in the church, I'm going to preach right now, all we seem to talk about is our potential. But what good is potential if you never reach it? I'm tired of the church saying you have a future, you have a plan, you have a promise, but what good is a promise if it never happens? And so many people are dying spiritually and withering and just hopelessness, not reaching their full God-given potential because we're satisfied with being spirit-filled but not spirit-led. And when you become a spirit-filled person, you say, now Lord, help me and to lead a life that is led by you to do what you tell me to do. Say what you want me to say. Live how you want me to live. And I will be led by you. Not my feelings, not my emotions, not my desires, but you, God, you lead me. And Ezekiel shows us three quick signs if you're a spirit-led person. Number one, verse three. He asked, Son of man, can these bones become alive again? And he said, O sovereign Lord, I replied, only you know the answer. Let me tell you something. God was testing him. He's in the valley. He sees the dry bones. It's hopeless. It's terrible. And God says, hey, can these bones live? I want to hear what you think. Can this change? And I love the two things Ezekiel did not do. Ezekiel did not say, Yes, Lord, hallelujah, yes, Lord, it can, Lord, yes, it will live because you are God. Yes, Lord. He didn't do that. Because there's a lot of people like that. And they're still dry. Ezekiel did not, he also did not say, of course not. This is over. Look how dry it is. Are you kidding me? It's over, God. It's over. It's finished. He didn't say anything. 
In fact, when Ezekiel said, only you know the answer to that, you know what he's saying? He's honest with God. I don't have answers. Some of you right now, you're in such a valley you have no answers for. You have no answers how you're going to get out of it. You have no answers how you're going to change it. You have no answers if it's going to get better. You're just, you ever been in that valley that you have no answer for? Come on, church, have you ever been there? That's when you know you're in a dry place. And some of you have no answers to the situation you're in right now. But see, some of you don't need answers when you're spirit-led. When you're a spirit-led person, you don't need to know, God, tell me, tell me, Lord, tell me, show me, show me, God, please, tell me why, why. God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Lord, please. Some of you are like that because you're so spirit-filled but not spirit-led. You need to know what's going to happen. But when you're a spirit-led person, you don't have to know anything except one thing. Only you, Lord, are sovereign. You're sovereign, Lord. Oh, Lord. And here's the thing. A spirit-led person acknowledges the sovereignty of God, which we learned last Sunday. Go figure. The sovereignty of God, that God is supreme over all things and in control. A spirit-led person has no fear, doesn't lose joy, doesn't lose hope, doesn't lose peace. Why? Because when you're led by the Spirit of God, you know that He is on top. He is sovereign. But not only does Elijah, can you put that verse back up there for a second? Notice, Ezekiel doesn't just say, Oh, sovereign. He says, Lord. Meaning, Master. And all of you might declare the sovereignty of God, but not everyone can declare the Lordship. You might say he's in control of your life. He's in control of all things. He's sovereign, but maybe he's not the master of your life. When you're spirit-led, you don't need answers because you know who God is. He's sovereign and in control over you. Number two, verse four, not only does a spirit-filled person Spirit-led person. Acknowledge the sovereignty of God. But look at verse 4. He said to me, speak this prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. Does it make sense to preach to dry bones? Church? If you'd call me over and say, Pastor, would you say a few words to my dead dog? I'm going to say, I'm not going to do that. They're dead. It's over. No, would you speak to a dead thing? You wouldn't. It doesn't make sense. But when you're a spirit-led person, it doesn't have to make sense for you to obey the Word of God. It doesn't have to make sense. But when you're a spirit-led person, the Word of God is the authority of your life. Some of you, if God would have said, speak to this bones, you would have been, why? See, ya está muerto, ya, it's over, it's dry. It's dry. Why don't you speak it to people that are alive? But see, a spirit-led person would say, I don't know why I'm doing this. doesn't make sense to me. But Lord, because you said so, the authority of God's Word dictates your life. That's a Spirit-led person. When the Word of God 
is the authority of your life. It is a clear sign you are spirit-led. It leads you in your values. My values are found in this book. It leads you in your decisions. Whenever you need a decision to make, choose what is in the Bible. Come November, when it comes time to vote, what am I going to do? Who am I going to vote for? Vote the Bible. Who is closest to the Word of God? Whenever I need wisdom, the Word of God. When you are a Spirit-led person, this is the authority of your life. And it saves you. While Ezekiel was prophesying the Word of God, the rest of the people was just saying how hopeless and finished they were. How do you know the Word of God is the authority of your life? How have you been talking lately? How you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Are you telling yourself? It's over. It's hopeless. It's no good. It's useless. I have no future. It's all. If you're talking like that, don't tell me the Word of God is the authority of your life. Same valley, different response. Ezekiel responded to the Word of God while the other people responded to their own emotions. Who are you today? Come on, I know I'm preaching today. It'll save your life. It saved Jesus' life. I'm like, what? Yeah. Matthew 4.1. Listen, Jesus had a mountaintop experience. The Holy Spirit ascended on him like a dove. God spoke, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Can you imagine how amazing that would have felt right after Jesus was what? Say it with me. Led by the Spirit. Into a desert, wait a minute. Yes, because being spirit-led doesn't mean life is easy. Being spirit-led means you're going to go through some deserts to be tempted by the devil. Some of you feel like that right now. You're in a desert. It's dry. Isn't desert a dry place? You're in a dry place. Jesus was tired. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was in a desert and he survived. Because three different times, verse 4, he said this, Jesus answered, it is written. Look at verse 7, Jesus answered, it is also written. Look at verse 10, Jesus answered, he said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is what? Written. He always was spirit-led and we know he was spirit-led because no matter what the devil tried to throw at him, he responded with the Word of God. So whatever life throws at you, and the devil throws at you, you respond with the Word. That's a Spirit-led person. You know God is sovereign and He is Lord of your life, so have nothing to fear. And when life throws deserts at me and the devil attacks me and I'm in a dry place, I go straight to what is written because what is written is always truth over what I feel. And we'll close with this. 
Verse 7, spirit-led person, Ezekiel. So I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattle, a noise across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves. And there was a complete skeleton. So I spoke the message just as he told me. And suddenly as I spoke, the rattling of the noise. Look at the next verse. Then, as I watched muscles and flesh form over the bones, the skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath. Church, sometimes you do what God says and nothing happens. Ezekiel did what God told him to do. He got a little shake, a little noise, a little rattle. He thought it was going to change. And guess what? Still dead. Still hopeless. Some of you have made the word of God the authority of your life, doing it his way, but you're still in dry places. Look at verse 9. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds of the sun and speak. You know what God did? God said, do it again. Do it again. Ezekiel didn't say, wait, wait, God, but it didn't work. I tried. Nothing happened. It's still dead. Lord, I did it the way you told me to, but nothing happens. No, a spirit-led person says, even if it hasn't changed, even if it's the same situation, even though nothing has made a difference, I continue to do what God says. A spirit-led person walks in obedience. And obedience is not something you practice only when you get your way. Obedience is something you always practice even when you don't get your way. Nothing changes. It's still dry. It's still hopeless. The reason I still preach every Sunday in the city of Miami is because the Lord told me to. It's not how I feel. It's not what I want. It's not, oh, I don't know. Listen, I don't have to waste my time on that. I do what God says. And every Friday morning, I get on my knees and say, Lord, what do you want me to preach to these people? There it is, like clockwork. Why? Because we, as children of God, continue to obey again and again and again. So when you're a spirit-filled person, you acknowledge the sovereignty of God. And He is the master of your life. And when he is sovereign and master of your life, the word of God becomes the authority of your life. And when the word of God is the authority of your life, you obey it even when nothing changes. But eventually, you keep being obedient time and time again. And the Bible says there was a great revival. A great revival took place. So as we close, I'll close with this. Ezekiel was the only one that saw this vision. No one else did. So if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I'm in a dry place and my life is hopeless and I feel like I can't make it anymore, my question to you, church, is are you spirit-led? 
God will never lead you off. So if you're in this place, this valley of hopelessness, today, all of that can change. September 25th, everything can change for you. When you say, Lord, lead my life. Remember that one of the evidences of a spirit-led person is a child of God. And the only way you become a child of God is by first confessing that you are a sinner to God. That doesn't mean confess every little sin you've ever made. We'd be here all day. That word confess literally means to agree with God. So when God says you are a sinner, you say, yes, Lord, I am. You agree with God that you're a sinner. And you repent of your sins and you say, Lord, I'm turning the other direction. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Only he lived a sinless life. Only he did what we could not. So when we put our faith and our trust and repentance to Jesus, we become a child of God. Before you think, can I be a spirit-led person? Ask yourself the most important question on earth you'll ever ask. Am I a child of God? Am I truly a born-again believer? If that is a question you have no answers for or you doubt, then you probably are not and you have to become a child of God. And today you can make that choice. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I am a child of God. I am a born-again believer. But I've allowed the world, distraction, emotions to lead me the wrong way. I've lost peace. I've lost joy. Like the Israelites, I'm held captive. But the hand of the Lord can come upon you again. That is a choice you have to make. Whoever you are this morning, God's hand can still reach you. God can still put things together. I love that the Bible says that Ezekiel saw the bones coming together and coming back to life because I believe God is in the business of putting things back together. Bringing life to a, what would have been a dead situation and a revival. And I pray for you this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed today. You're here this morning. You're saying, Lord, I'm not sure if I'm a child of God. But once and for all today, you can make this choice to repent, to turn of your sins, to put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ, who will forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future who will give you the promise of hope of eternity in heaven. Not by any good works, not by anything we do, but by what Jesus did. He died on the cross for you. And if you want to become a child of God, the choice is yours. And I will help you and lead you in this prayer. And if that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed today, you put that hand up and say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm a child of God, but I want to be sure today. God bless you. God bless you. See you here today. God bless you.
you put your hand down, I'll pray for you in a moment. And if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I'm a born-again Christian, but lately I've been led by my flesh. I've been led by my emotions. I'm doing things I know it's wrong, living in ways I know I shouldn't live. I've lost my peace. I've lost my joy. The hand of God can still reach you today. If that's you, would you put that hand up today? God bless you. All across your room today. Let's all stand to both feet. I want to pray for you all here today. For everyone here today, if you're those that say, I want to be a child of God, would you pray this from your heart with me? Just say, Lord Jesus. Lord, forgive me of my sins. And today, on this day, I confess that I am a sinner. And it's only through your son, Jesus, that I am forgiven of all my sins. So once and for all, Lord, I surrender my life and my soul to you, putting my faith and trust in Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, and save me. And now, lead my life in Jesus' name. And if you're here today and you're saying, God, I am a child of God, but I've been led the wrong way. But today I'm in the valley of consequence, a valley of sin. But today I want to repent and feel that hand of yours carrying me once and for all, revive me from my waywardness, my backsliding. That's you. Would you pray this with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your son, Jesus. And I thank you for salvation. But I confess I have not treated it with value. I have taken it for granted. And I am led. And you fill in the blank right now. What is leading you today? You say, Lord, I'm led by the world. I'm led by pleasure. I'm led by selfishness. I'm led by money. But today I ask you to forgive me and I ask you to take the lead in my life again. Put things back together for me, Lord, because I've messed it up. And I pray for revival once more. And in Jesus' name, revive the dryness in me. Bring me hope as I now acknowledge the sovereignty and the lordship over my life. I will declare the word of God the authority of my life. And I will do as, that's, as it says and not do as I feel. Lead me now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you guys give God some praise this morning? I hope you guys are